Hello and welcome to Let's Talk with Bishop R.C. Blakes. R.C. is an author, empowerment teacher, and the proud pastor of the New Home Ministries of New Orleans, Louisiana, and Houston, Texas. His message circles the globe. His conversational and candid approach to challenging content makes him a relevant voice to all generations. Get ready for a life-changing transformational conversation. So today, my assignment is to talk to you just a few minutes about the constitution of a wealth consciousness. The constitution of a wealth consciousness. And I want you to just get something to write with, get something to write with, something clearly to write on, because there are going to be some things that I'm going to say today that I think you may want to hold on to things that may be worthy of uh, recall. The constitution of anything speaks to how that thing functions. The United States of America has a constitution. You know, corporations have constitutions, maybe termed something else, but it's how we function. And likewise, wealth has a constitution. There, there, there are certain parameters that um, are built in. If one is going to function effectively within you know, the realm of wealth. Now, the first thing I, I got to get you to understand is that there's a, there's a difference between wealth and riches. And, and many people get riches confused with wealth. If you look in Psalms 112, verses 1 through 3, it says, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Watch verse 3. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. The first thing I want you to pay attention to or, or acknowledge in this text is the word commandments. It says, um, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. You could actually substitute that word with principles. The Lord's commandments are the Lord's principles. Principles are laws whereby we should govern ourselves to, to either produce uh, positive or negative. The, the second thing I want you to see is that there's a distinct difference in verse 3 between wealth and riches. Wealth and riches. Riches, the two are not exactly the same. Now, I want you to observe these two words, wealth and riches, because let, let me just see if I can give you some definition from the original language. Wealth here is a, a masculine noun referring to benefits, substance, 
or wealth that is sufficient. Benefits, substance, or wealth that is sufficient. Riches is a noun referring to things that it describes all kinds of material wealth in terms of things like land, possessions, cattle, and descendants. Now, if you, if you were to be a, become a biblical student of wealth in terms of what the Bible has to say about wealth, and you studied that thing out, what it specifically says in the context and what it infers and, and what is demonstrated in the lives and the functions of those who actually walked in wealth and riches, you will see these things right here, these two things. As you study wealth, you will find that wealth is an abundance mindset more than it is a materialistic demonstration. Wealth speaks more to the mindset of an individual. A wealthy, when you say a person is wealthy, you're not necessarily talking about that person's material demonstration or materialistic demonstration. You are speaking to the mindset of an individual. When, when you think of, uh, you know, a wealthy person, you think of a person whose thought life is disciplined and whose mindset is functioning on a certain level that is different than the majority. Okay, let me just give it to you. Wealthy people think production, while the average people think consumption. Wealthy people think produce it, while the average person is thinking pursue it and purchase it. A lot of people that we call rich do not have a wealthy mindset. They just have enough money to accrue the things that the wealthy produce. And to the world, the rich look like this is the ultimate. And the reality is that most or many rich people utilize all of their resources in their generation while wealthy people's resources transfer from generation to generation to generation. See, riches are often the momentary result of a particular action. Riches are fleeting while wealth is enduring. Here it is, here it is. Wealth is the root Wealth and riches. Wealth is the root, while riches are the fruit. You see, a wealthy man will always have riches, but a, a rich man will not necessarily be a wealthy man because wealth is the root that may produce the fruit of riches. Wealth is the root, while riches are the fruit. Now, I was thinking about just this, this whole concept, this whole focus uh, for Freedom Fest on wealth. Um, and I was just kind of doing a, a very, you know, just a, 
you know, kind of scraping over the top type of etymological study. Originally of the word wealth, originally the concept of wealth. Listen to this very carefully because this is important. Originally, the, the, the concept of wealth suggested more than material possessions. You see, today, that's the idea. You say wealth, most people think material possessions. But originally, originally, the concept of wealth suggested more than material possessions. It had a much broader meaning, meaning than financial wealth. And it, over the, over the generations, the centuries, it has narrowed more and more and more over time. Listen to what Luke 12 and 15 says. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Originally, the, the, the concept of wealth involved more than just material possessions. Here it is. Wealth comes from the old English word wheel, W-E-A-L, which means wealth, welfare, and well-being. Wealth, this is where it originally started, wealth, welfare, and well-being. Wheel is in turn related to the older word well, W-E-L, meaning in a state of good fortune, welfare, or happiness. Now, the term well, W-E-L, gives birth to wealth, W-E-L-T-H, around 1250 A.D., and wealthy, a century or so later, by 1430, it seems to have settled around the idea of riches, and prosperity, leaving behind the older meanings of wider well-being and health. When you start talking about wealth or being wealthy, we're talking about a person that is prospering on multiple fronts, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. That's where it originally started. Now, so we, we have just about, we have, you know, almost 600 years or so of language that we're contending with, but, you know, when we start talking about trying to uh, understand the constitution of wealth, we have all of these ideas about what it means. Now, the best biblical term that captures the real meaning of wealth is the term peace. In fact, I believe that, or in fact, I, the, 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 the terms that, you know, I just mentioned found their origin from God's original idea of what the Bible calls, the Bible uses this as a synonym for what we now know to be wealth a holistic prosperity of one's life. And that term is the term peace or shalom. The term shalom translates in the Septuagint most often by the Greek word irene. It has a wide semantic range. 
including the notions of totality, listen to this, or completeness, success, fulfillment, wholeness, harmony, security, and well-being. Watch this. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Shalom, Hebrew word meaning peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. That is where God wants you and I to live. Not, not just to have money to buy things and are empty spiritually. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? Not just have money and, and no, no, no healthy relationships in your life. Listen to what Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 says. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee shalom, peace. So wealth is the ability, listen to what Henry David Thoreau says. He says, wealth is the ability to fully experience life. Wealth is the ability to fully experience life. Now, I want to bring you, and that all of that was introduction. I want to bring you now to um, a biblical character found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is a little uh, widowed woman, recently widowed. Uh, her, her sons, she has some sons. Her husband died, clearly. And uh, the, the, apparently her husband didn't, you know, uh, service all of the debt that he had. And so now the creditors are coming to take his sons to make them slaves. And I, I want to use this woman because this woman is a great uh, example of going from one end of the spectrum to the other. She's symbolic. She's, uh, she's a type of sorts of, of, of poverty, not having enough. And, and, uh, and then she goes from not having enough to, to having more than enough and being able to live. I want to use this lady. Let me read 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen or slaves. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save uh, just, you know, but a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt uh, set aside that which is full. 
So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. All of all of the vessels are full and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now, the, the, I have to mention this while I'm here. This lady was the wife of a preacher uh, and he, he seemed to be a preacher in good standing because he was, you know, the son of the prophet. He walked with the man of God. But yet he didn't take care for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I don't know. He did not take care of certain financial matters and it left his family in bondage. So here's what I have to mention because I am a preacher. I am a preacher. Here's what I have to say. The idea of wealth being the result of a miracle is irresponsible. If we are leading people down a path that says, just believe God and you, you know, you're going to be wealthy, we are irresponsible leaders. This was the man of God. He, he clearly had a, you know, he lived a, a good life, had a great family, yet he dies and his family is about, his children are about to be made slaves because he did not take care of certain practical, pragmatic matters. Wealth is attained, listen to this, and maintained by principles. Wealth is attained and maintained by principles. Now, now what, listen, listen to what I didn't say. I did not say that there would not be divine involvement in the process of wealth. But I said it would be irresponsible to believe that wealth will be the result of miracles. No, here, here's how it goes. God lays out the principles. We learn the principles. We apply the principles. We practice the principles. God then gets behind our obedience and he supernaturally energizes everything we've put our hands to. Now, let's, let's look at this because there are a few things I see and we're just going to kind of um, ex exegete this, this text. And there's so much there, there's no way in the world we could pull it all out of there. But the first thing I want to see you, I want to show you rather, relative to the constitution of wealth consciousness, one of the things you have to understand, number one, we pull it from the, the story of this lady. You have to understand and appreciate the value of a rock bottom realization. This lady had... A, a, a rock bottom realization. She may have never known that her husband was even in debt, but when he died and these creditors are coming to take her sons, she has a rock bottom realization. Here's my reality. Come on now. 
And see, this is this is where I'm praying for a lot of you to get to. I'm praying for you to get to a rock bottom realization, because until you get to a rock bottom realization, you're not really going to be in a mindset to shift or change. It's not until you hit rock bottom and you have nowhere else to go but up. That is when you begin to open your understanding. This lady's wealth evolution started when she had a rude awakening, even a frightening awakening. She no longer had the luxury of blissful ignorance. The truth was in her face and she had to make a decision to give up and quit to allow her sons to be made slaves or to reverse her reality. She had a rock bottom realization. It was at, it was at that moment that the seed of wealth consciousness began to germinate. It was when she hit rock bottom, no more husband, no more husband. threatening to take her sons. She's at rock bottom. Now, when you think about this, the value of, of a rock bottom realization, which is where some of you all are now, you're sitting there, all your bills are backed up, your credit cards are maxed out, your, your credit score is just plummeting. You're at rock bottom. Now you have to make what? You have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. And you know, when you think about it biblically, when you look at the prodigal son, the prodigal son really did not develop wealth consciousness until he personally hit rock bottom and discovered the true value of resources. As long as he, as long as he was in his daddy's house, he was just a rich little boy. When he was asking his daddy, give me the portion that falls to me. He was a spoiled, rich little boy. But when he when he got into that far country and he spent all and hit rock bottom to the point that he was in a hog pen. Watch this. Had lost his freedom. No more options, no more opportunities. You know, even his dignity is on the line. His consciousness shifted. The Bible says he came to himself. And see, that's where a lot of you all are right now. You're at rock bottom. The question is, are you going to do like the prodigal son and come to yourself and shift? Are you going to do like uh, this widow woman and wake up and realize that here's my reality I got to do something different. I can't afford to pull a cover over my head in depression. I got to do something. This is a rock bottom realization. That's, that's where wealth consciousness begins. When you get to the place where you're face to face with a hard truth, Proverbs 21 and 20 says, there's treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. You see, wealth consciousness is the mission to attain and the appreciation for 
resources. It's the mission to attain and it's the appreciation for resources that respects money for more than momentary consumer impulses. Wealth consciousness is the long-term relationship with money that transfers money into your future. When that boy came to himself, he had a different mindset about money than he had when he left out there with the money that his dad gave him. The Bible says he wasted it with riotous living. When that lady, uh, the, the men came to take her sons and make them slaves and she started shifting in her mindset, there, there was, a, there was a, a, a transition in the way she viewed money, whereas probably before she just, you know, whatever, whatever happened, she was fine with it. You handle it, but now she has a wealth consciousness, and so now she's taking her resources uh, personally and seriously because she understands the power. You see, wealth is not a dollar amount. It is a level between income and output. It's, it's, it's a level between resources earned and resources invested. It's a level between means versus lifestyle. That's where you tap into wealth. Money that can, watch this, go into your future. And the Bible says it becomes a defense. Wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. But we don't usually develop that mindset until we have a what? Rock bottom realization. Number two. Wealth consciousness is driven by, listen to this very carefully, the desperation for freedom. This woman was motivated. You know, if they had just come and said, well, your husband owed us some money, and, uh, you know, when you going to pay? When you going to pay? She would say, I'm a widow. I, I, I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to try to figure it out. But they didn't come saying that. They came saying, your husband owed us. We, we're going to take your boys and we're going to make your boys um, slaves. And it was her desperation for the freedom of her children that began to subconsciously push her in the direction of wealth consciousness. The woman's pursuit was not about material opulence. Her pursuit was related to the freedom of her children. And people usually don't tap into a wealth consciousness or a wealth reality until they get to the point that one generation is desperate to become free. My father's generation was desperate to be free. The concept of wealth is rooted in the impact it has on the next generation right now. Right now, listen to me. Right now, one of my greatest concerns, one of my greatest concerns is to make certain that my children will have to stoop and bow to no man. Come on now. It's important to me that my children are free. 
When I close my eyes, I want to make certain that my children are free because wealth consciousness is driven by the desperation for freedom. Not freedom to run up and down the mall, freedom to have choices, freedom to move like you want to move, freedom to owe no man anything, freedom to obey God, freedom to be able to live anywhere in the world you choose to live without stooping and bowing and punching somebody's clock. Proverbs 13:22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Yeah. So it's, a, it's driven by a desperation for freedom, freedom from a few things. Uh, freedom from the enslavement to man's systems. That's what wealth does for you. When, when you're wealthy, I'm not talking about just have a good job making, making good money and maybe considered rich because somebody can fire you blackball you. But when you're wealthy, when your resources are, you know, coming, coming passively and coming from uh, systems that you created around you, you, you become free from the systems of men. You know, like as a preacher, I can, I can preach like I want to preach. You know what I mean? I can, whatever God tell me to do, in other words, I, I can say what God wants me to say because I don't have to stoop and bow to no man. No man, no organization controls me. Members can get mad and say, well, I ain't going to give you no more love offering. You, you preach that again, I ain't giving you no more love offering. That's all right. That's all right. Because it frees you from men's systems. Proverbs 22, 6 and 7 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Verse seven, ironically, says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower's servant to the lender. Teach your children this stuff. When, when you have when you have wealth, not things, but wealth, resources, sufficiency, more than enough. He says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. The, the second thing that, you know, you, 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 you know, you're striving to be free from is you're striving to escape poverty because poverty robs you of your time. Your time is your life. And what, what wealth does is wealth frees your time. You can, you can move like you want to move. You can do what you need to do without somebody else consuming 8, 12, 14 hours of your day with what they want you to do. They may pay you $100,000 a year to do it. And the hundred thousand they're paying you, you're making them twenty million dollars. Wealth puts you in a position where it frees up your time, and then it's it's the pursuit. It is the desperation for freedom, freedom from being enslaved to another man's system, freedom from being robbed of your 
time. And then thirdly, freedom from being stripped of your creativity. Because when you are stressed out with debt, when you, when you have to run and answer to other people and use all of your brain power uh, for somebody else's agenda, somebody else's mission, somebody else's vision, guess what? You have none left over for yourself. So wealth gives you, it, it is driven by the desperation for freedom. This woman did not want her sons in bondage. Number three, I'm getting now, stay with me. The third thing that I see in this text relative to the constitution of a wealth consciousness taken from this woman's life is the identification and the cultivation of your present resources. When you become wealth conscious, you're going to look at what you presently have in your house differently. And the Bible says, and Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? What do you possess? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house but a pot of oil, which means what? She was disrespecting her Value, the value that she possessed, any legitimate wealth starts with, listen to this very carefully, any legitimate wealth starts with a resource that is indigenous, innate, and usually ignored. There's something that God has put within you that comes naturally that is really the source of your freedom, but you, like this woman, are ignoring it. The seed for a future of freedom is already in your life. You just need a revelation. I believe with all of my heart that Be Free University is going to be the Elisha in many people's lives. Be free is going to help you to recognize the pot of oil and, and understand that it's not just a pot of oil, but but it's actually the seed for your future. Now, listen to this quote, the, the writer, the author is unknown, but it says the person who doesn't know where his next dollar is coming from usually doesn't know where his last dollar went. Meaning what he is, he is disrespectful of the pot of oil that's already in his house. When you begin to develop a wealth consciousness, you begin to identify and cultivate your present resources. My father taught me this. He said, one day I came in and I had my little money. It was all balled up, literally balled up. And I was trying to get money for something and little balls, little dollars falling out on the floor. And my dad said, wait a minute, boy, take all your money out. All your little dollars, take them out. He said, smooth them out on, on, on the table here. Smooth them out. He says, now put all the heads in the same direction. And then make sure they're even. Now slide them down into your wallet. Don't ball your money up in your pocket like that. He says, you got to respect the small money if you're going to ever attract the large money. That's a wealth, wealth mindset. When, when you learn to identify 
and cultivate your present resources, your little will always evolve into much. He that is faithful over that which is least shall be made ruler over that which is greatest. And then number four, watch this. Watch this. Number four, wealth consciousness, the constitution of a wealth consciousness. We're pulling all of this from this woman's experience. Instruction over handouts or wages. That's that's a that's a wealth that's a wealth mindset. Instruction over handouts or wages. Instruction over welfare or wages or jobs. Watch this. This lady comes, and the Bible says, she comes to the prophet and she says, Hey, they taking my son, they want to take my sons to make them uh, slaves. I don't know what to do. I come to you because I don't know what to do. Now, one would say, you know, religious people would probably judge and say, I mean, it's a shame that that, that prophet, he was a rich man. It's a shame that he he didn't just give that poor lady some money. He knew what she needed. Why didn't he just give her the money she needed? Which would have been what? Welfare. Now, society would say he, he should have at least given her a job. He should have let her sweep the house or wash his clothes or something. He should have at least given her a job. He ain't given her no welfare. He ain't given her no job. All he doing is handing out instructions. Either of these two scenarios would have been short-term band-aids. Welfare, as soon as she spends it, runs out. She got to come back get more. A job is only going to pay her so many wages, she got to keep coming back trading her time for a dollar. But what the prophet did, his aim was to set her free from ever having to worry about resources again. You ain't got to go stand in no government line. You ain't got to be punching nobody's clock that you don't, don't want to work for. If you working, you working because you want to, not because you have to. He said, so I'm not going to give you any welfare and I'm not going to even give you any wages. I'm going to give you some instruction. Wealth is generational freedom and is only attained through instruction. Somebody has to know something that they are willing to share and somebody has to listen to the one who knows what they're sharing, and then apply what the sharer has shared. Now, one of the key components of a poverty mindset is the strong desire for someone else to give me what is necessary for me to survive, rather than train me to produce for myself. You see, a poverty mindset says, catch me a fish. A wealth mindset says, teach me how to fish. One, one wants uh, a handout while the other wants an instruction. One wants what's in your pocket while the other wants what's in your head. 
You see, you can't take a person that's locked into a poverty mindset and convince them to invest in education. The same person that will say, oh, no, twenty five hundred dollars a year for school. Oh, my God, is the same person that will go right down to the mall and give uh, Louis Vuitton or Gucci three, four Chanel, five or six, seven thousand dollars to carry a bag with overloaded credit cards and no money in it. It's a poverty mindset that 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 seeks to seek style over substance. But when you become wealth conscious, you're seeking the instruction. Hmm. So wealth is the product of information and application. Wealthy people are not special. They are just informed and motivated to apply. You see, the instruction the prophet gave her was not to seek welfare nor a job. The prophet turned the woman to her present resources, what was already in her house. And then he gave her a strategy to maximize what she had underestimated. The reason wealth follows instruction, listen to this, and I'm almost done. The reason wealth follows instruction is because it is designed, the process of wealth is designed to be duplicated in every generation. So what my father learned in his generation, he taught me those principles, and now I'm applying. I'm building on that, and I'm learning things that I'm trying to teach my children. Hopefully they'll, <laughs> hopefully they'll hear me because the process is designed to be duplicated. Proverbs 24 and 4 says, And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And then I like something. Let me just hurry. The prophet says to her, Go and borrow vessels, but wait a minute, not a few. He says, borrow a whole lot. What is that speaking? What is that speaking of? That speaks to, um, watch this. He's, he's, he's telling her, divorce yourself from a scarcity mindset. I know you've not had much. This is number five. Wealth consciousness is divorced from a scarcity mindset. I know you've not had much, but I need you to I need you to think out of the box now. Don't just go borrow a few because I know what you're going to do. You're going to go borrow a couple from one next door, one over here. No, no, no. I want you and your boys go borrow a lot of vessels and bring them home. Borrow a lot of them, not a few. What did the vessels represent? The vessels represented capacity to receive. You see, the more you expand your circle, the more you put yourself in the place, in the environment of people who are already free, you're borrowing vessels. The more you listen to people who have already done it, you are borrowing vessels. Your, what's, your capacity is expanding and you are losing the scarcity mindset. A poverty mind thinks that there's not enough or only so much. To step into wealth consciousness, one must begin to see the limitless resources that are available. No such thing as scarcity. 
No such thing. And then watch this. Number six, the prophet says to her, get your boys, pull them into the house. Pull them into the house. And y'all begin to pour out. Watch this. Lock the door. Wealth is a team sport. Ideally, you should what you're learning, you should be teaching your children at the same time and they should be participating in whatever the enterprise is for the family. See, money is multiplied. It's because it's a team sport, you know, and the, the symbolism behind her and the boys working together. Uh, it speaks to us of collectivism. You have to know your community. And you have to you have to lock the process down and in. That's good right there. He said, lock the door. You and your boys shut in because you got to learn to keep what's going to be produced on the inside. I any community that's going to succeed has to first learn to keep its resources inside of itself. It's called collectivism. It's a principle of wealth building. You will never be, we could never be a, a wealthy people if all of our wealth immediately leaves our community every time it hits our hands. He says, lock in, you and your boys. Listen to what Tim Ferriss says. Money is multiplied in practical value depending on the number of W's you control in your life. What you do, W's. When you do it, W's. Where you do it, and with whom you do it. You have to identify your community and lock your process down to your community. And Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Wealth is a team sport. This is not, this is not an opportunity for you to think selfishly. You got to, you got to locate those that you're going to need to work with, to build with, because these are going to be the same ones that you're going to reign with. And then watch this finally. Wealth consciousness always leads to entrepreneurship, some kind of business, some kind of business. You, you got to produce something. They went through all of this process. They got these vessels. They started pouring that oil and they had just a little pot of oil. And after they had applied all of the principles that the prophet taught them, they started pouring. And then they just kept on pouring and they kept on pouring. They realized the oil was just continuing to flow. See, God will do his part after you have started your part. Wealth requires the natural part to happen first. And then once you do the natural part, then God will do the super part. So it's natural super. God says, apply the principles. And while you're applying the, pr the practical, pragmatic principles of the process, 
I'm going to slide in. You're not going to even know I'm in there. And your oil is just going to keep on pouring and keep on pouring, keep on pouring until all of those vessels are full. And you scratching your head saying, where, how did I ever get here? Where did this come from? And that's what happened with this woman and her sons. And I close with this. And she goes back. Wise lady. She goes back to the same prophet that she went to when she was broke. And the boy's about to be made slave. Now she got all, all this oil. She goes back to get more counsel. You see, every level is going to require a different level of counsel. Every level, there's a different conversation. The first conversation she had with him, he had to ask her questions. What you got in the house? He had to help her to recognize what she had. The second conversation, she come and telling him, man, I got all of this all. What to do? He says, okay, cool. Sell the oil. Pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. He put her, I like the way Dr., I think it was Dr. Leroy Thompson who said he put her in the oil business. <laughs> he taught her a process. He taught her how to make some money. He put her in business and he said, I like, he says, y'all live on the rest. You're not living. Not, not, not in the full shalom sense until you are in the more than enough realm. More than enough. And so my prayer is that you got something out of my little discussion. I'm grateful for the time. And I know that God's will for your life is for you to be free. God bless you. I'm R.C. Blakes. We here at R.C. Blake's Ministries want to thank you for spending this time with us today. R.C. and Lisa are always honored to have you with us. Don't forget to reach out to us by visiting our website at www.rcblakes.com. While you're there, you may join our mailing list and receive a free download of the Laws of Manifesting Your Vision by R.C. Blakes. Also look at all of the online programs by R.C. You may find all books written by R.C. and Lisa. Once again, all of us here at R.C. Blake's Ministries want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And as we always say, see you at the top.